Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Tonight, straight from the source, President Biden says U.S. intelligence agencies are backing up Israel's claim that it wasn't behind a deadly blast in Gaza. He's set to deliver an Oval Office primetime address on the war tomorrow. Also, in addition to that, still, there is widespread rage exploding in the Middle East despite that new information. Concerns about what that could look like, the far-reaching consequences of that, are definitely being felt inside the U.S. government tonight. Also, as money for Israel depends on a functioning U.S. democracy, Congress has failed yet again to elect a new House Speaker. But the twice-rejected candidate, the Republican, still showing no signs of dropping out. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Good evening. I'm Caitlin Collins, live in Tel Aviv tonight. President Biden is due back in Washington at any moment after he visited here earlier today. We have learned that he will be addressing the nation from the Oval Office tomorrow night in prime time. He plans to talk about America's response to the attacks that Hamas waged against Israel and the ongoing war in Ukraine. The president spent a whirlwind seven and a half hours here on the ground. It was a historic visit to Israel during wartime, actually making him the first U.S. president to ever visit Israel while it was at war. He met with Israeli leaders, and he also promised a new round, a new humanitarian aid to the people in Gaza, who, of course, as we have been reporting, so desperately need it tonight. Complicating Biden's visit was the blast that killed hundreds at a hospital in Gaza right before he arrived here. On the ground in Israel, Biden firmly backed up Israel's assertions that it had nothing to do with that blast with the president saying that it was data from the Pentagon that reinforced his assertion on that. Still, there was outrage over the blast that erupted before that assertion from the former president, uh, from the current president, I should note, across the Arab world in Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, Iran, Turkey, and in Ramallah in the West Bank. This is what President Biden said to those protesters in the streets today. I can understand why in this circumstance they wouldn't believe I can understand that, and uh, but uh, I would not. You notice I don't say things like that unless I have faith in the source from which I've gotten. I, I don't know all the detail, but I do know the people at the Defense Department who I respect, and the intelligence community that I respect. It's highly improbable that Israel did that. 
was a rare moment there where President Biden came to the back of Air Force One to speak with reporters as he made his way back to Washington. And he can't, this came as we were speaking, and there is new footage tonight that CNN has determined this video that was shot by Al Jazeera comes from an area just west of the hospital where the blast happened in Gaza. The video appears to show a rocket misfiring. The IDF argues that this footage shows it is not responsible for that explosion. An assessment that was explicitly backed up by the White House, not just in what President Biden said today, but also multiple statements from his National Security Council tonight. The sad reality on the ground is that a hospital in Gaza is not a safe place for civilians. Moms were threatened to be bombed, or those who feared the bombing came together with their children, food, drinks, and took refuge in this place. I should note CNN has geolocated videos and stills, pictures from the scene, meaning that CNN has determined the rocket was fired from an area that is south of Gaza City. When you watch this video, you can see that the rocket is seen continuing to rise, but then later making a sharp turn back toward the direction from which it was fired. That is what experts say is consistent with a malfunctioning rocket. The IDF and the U.S. National Security Council both say that they believe this disaster was caused by a misfire, like the one you see in this newly confirmed video. I should note, CNN is continuing to conduct its own investigation into the blast at the hospital. CNN has not made any final conclusions about that, but both the U.S. and Israeli governments are pointing to new audio tonight, which the Israelis say features two Hamas operatives talking about what went wrong. <laughs> For more on how the U.S. reached this analysis, what it means going forward, I'm joined tonight by the former deputy director of national intelligence, Beth Sanner. Beth, I'm so glad you're here tonight because when we look at this and see what the National Security Council is now saying in multiple statements that I should note being pretty explicit tonight, can you just kind of walk us through how the intelligence approach, intelligence community approaches something like this, how they make this conclusion? Thanks, Caitlin. It's good to be with you tonight. Um, the U.S. intelligence community, along with uh, military intelligence organizations, are going to do what is called all-source analysis. And that simply means that they'll take information from all different kinds of sources and combine them together to corroborate what is going on. So it's, it's kind of rare that we would have just one source say, you know, this is what's going on. We're just looking at overhead. This situation actually has, it seems to be, to have quite a few different kinds of intelligence to look at. Overhead, um, open source, which includes the film that you just showed, SIGINT, which is the intercept of that phone call. And, you know, and I also want to stress that the it does seem in these comments that the U.S. intelligence has its own independent sources that it's looking at and not relying on um, just the Israeli sources. So, you know, when they use the word highly uh, likely, then that is about as strong as uh, most analysts are willing to ever say about anything. So if that's as strong as analysts are, are ever willing, willing to say as far as they're comfortable going, you know, is there a point where the U.S. feels comfortable saying it is a specific group that is responsible for it? You know, they haven't said whether it's Hamas. They've just said the president's phrase earlier was Palestinian terrorist group. Is there is there any phrase yeah. where they are comfortable 
going as far to assign blame? Yeah, so I think that, you know, probably most of the U.S. intelligence is going to be based on that overhead and the physical, looking at the physical blast areas, the size, um, and the corroboration with the open source. And I, I, I'm guessing that the only thing that leads the path to Pidge, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is a smaller um, terrorist group, they that is probably only in that intercept and i and so maybe the reluctance is that there's only that one source of the intercept that suggests that it's coming from pidge but they can't actually prove that that is who it is i mean the unfortunate part of this is that in the time that the u.s was analyzing this before you saw president biden come out and pretty forcefully back israel up on this uh, we saw a ton of protests. I mean, there is serious outrage here in the Middle East. Part of President Biden's meetings today in Jordan were canceled uh, because of that. Is there any points, I mean, where even though the evidence is there, we've seen the video, we've seen what these two governments are saying, it, how quickly this conflict is moving, you know, more. it doesn't seem like that is something that can kind of dampen that outrage that we're seeing. This is a great lesson for us as Americans just to think about this kind of misinformation and disinformation and how quickly it can take hold as being fact. I think we've seen that in our own in our own situation and we're going to see more of it. In this case, um, that misinformation is pushing on an open door because just decades and decades of views of the Arab street of the Palestinian conflict and the Palestinian question is just so different than the Israeli perspective. And they're always going to blame Israel. And unfortunately, we had governments in the region come in very quickly and blame Israel for it um, without waiting for information. Part of that is because these governments are afraid of these people. Um, they're afraid of the protests that are going on. And so they don't want to stand up to the protesters and say, no, you're wrong. And so we can't expect that. Beth Sanner, a lot of big questions for this region. Thank you for joining with your expertise tonight. And I want to go live now to CNN's Matthew Chance, who is in northern Israel. Matthew, of course, you have been reporting on this. And we talked about uh, the all the demonstrations that we are seeing erupt in the Middle East. What is the latest that we've seen tonight now that you've seen the U.S. president come out and make these statements? Well, I mean, the, the, region, the, the region is still very much on a knife edge, and particularly here in northern Israel. We're right up against the border with Lebanon and, and Syria as well. And even on, you know, calm days, uh, there's a certain amount of um, tension across that border. Um, and these aren't calm days, of course. You've seen those protests in the region. Uh, Israel has massed its forces up here and near Gaza and is threatening a land invasion uh, of the Gaza Strip. Um, and over the course of the past 24 hours, for instance, we've been seeing multiple exchanges of artillery fire and rocket fire here um, between Lebanon, Hezbollah positions in Lebanon and, and northern Israel. It hasn't reached the point of escalation yet. That's the phrase that Israeli officials um, are using when it comes to describing the level of violence up here. But if it does reach that point or breach that point, then you know there are you know, large forces from Israel already here. Um, and Israel is absolutely enraged, of course, about what happened last week. And they're not in the mood to compromise. And so, look, the possibility of this 
conflict spreading out into into the region, I think is is very high indeed. You know, and um, you know, the diplomatic efforts have been underway to try and mitigate against that, but you know, it's still a very high risk. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of intelligence, you were doing reporting on how Hamas was planning their attack and what they were essentially using. I mean, they had an intricate level of knowledge about where certain Israeli positions were. I mean, what have the Israelis learned from that? How could they potentially use that maybe for their ground operation that we presume is going to happen in Gaza? I, it's astounding, uh, the, the level of intelligence, the level of detail that um, Hamas uh, fighters, Hamas militants had when it comes to attacking and targeting those communities in, in southern Israel. We spent the best part of the, of the past week uh, speaking to various sources in the Israeli government, uh, first responders here, um, Israelis who witnessed the attacks firsthand, to really build up, I think, what was a very dis disturbing picture of just how much intelligence Hamas had at its disposal. I mean, uh, first of all, on the, on the amount of security uh, that Israel has in place in, in southern Israel, the number of security forces protecting various Israeli communities, what various buildings could be used for, um, you know, where the location of strategic assets were located, um, and also some of that intelligence uh, about what Hamas's intent was, the taking of hostages, the killing of hostages, uh, think, things like that. Uh, and so it really does paint a very bleak picture indeed of just how prepared uh, the Palestinian militant group was to carry out these attacks. And I think that's a factor that the Israelis will have to bear in mind if they are going to, as seems likely, um, stage a land operation to root out Hamas inside the Gaza Strip. You can bet that Hamas are going to be ready and waiting for the Israelis uh, in those very narrow, winding streets of Gaza. Yeah, and the Israeli government has been warning today that could be a very long operation. Matthew Chance, great reporting. Thank you. More on President Biden's historic trip here to Israel. It was a wartime visit. We're going to speak with someone who can talk about this, can talk about uh, what happened in that meeting with Netanyahu today, and not just Netanyahu, but also the newly formed War Cabinet. That's next. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. President Biden is set to deliver a primetime address about Israel and the war in Ukraine tomorrow night. We're learning new details about his meetings that happened here in Tel Aviv today, including with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. 
Joining me now is Barack Ravid, who covers foreign policy for Axios and is one of the best sourced reporters in this region. Barack, on the flight back, you saw President Biden come back, something he doesn't often do. And he told reporters that he was blunt with Netanyahu in their conversations today, the ones that did not happen in front of the cameras. What have you learned from your sources about what those those blunt conversations were? Good evening, Kate. And uh, first, I have to tell you that I'm a bit jealous uh, that you're in Tel Aviv, uh, my home city, and I haven't been there for a long time. Uh, and to your uh, question, um, you know, President Biden in the meeting with Netanyahu and in the meeting with the Israeli war cabinet, uh, he tried to explain that to them, I think, again, as he said, very bluntly, very directly, he told them, listen, the U.S. supports you. Uh, you have a lot of other allies supporting you, the UK, the EU, Canada, Australia, a lot of countries. But if you want to maintain that support, you cannot create a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. So even though I understand that, you know, you're, uh, you, you're a victim of a terrible attack, it, it's in your own interest to allow this humanitarian aid from Egypt into Gaza. And I think, and President Biden also said it, he didn't get any pushback. The Israelis basically said, yes, we agree. Yeah, he said he basically got no pushback. He even referenced 9-11 at one point. Uh, it seemed to be this gentle warning where he was saying, you know, essentially, uh, look, we were so filled with rage in the United States following 9-11, and we made mistakes as a result of that, kind of issuing this warning. But the other thing, Barack, that, that was we heard repeatedly from Israeli officials today was warning about how long they believe that ground operation is going to potentially take. What have you heard from your sources about that? Yeah, in in the meeting with the Israeli uh, uh, war cabinet, uh, it's not only Netanyahu who told Biden that this thing is going to take time. Also, Minister of Defense uh, Gallant told him it's going to take time and we'll, we're going to need the same U.S. support we get now. We're getting now. We're going to need it for a long, long time. And even Benny Gantz, the uh, new member of this emergency unity government, former Minister of Defense, told Biden that the whole restructuring of Gaza after Hamas is toppled, let's see that it really happens, but if it happens, the whole process could take years, Gantz told uh, uh, Biden. And Biden, one of the questions he asked the Israeli security cabinet is, what's your plan? What's the strategy? Do you have any plan for the day after? Let's say yeah. you do topple Hamas. What do you do the day after? And unfortunately, the answer that he got is that at the moment, there's no plan. Yeah, I mean, that is a big question here. What is the objective? What does that look like? And, and who's in charge? Uh, Barack Ravid, I was wondering when I got to the airport this morning why there was this huge uh, photo of you on a billboard. Now I know why. You're the, the hometown, hometown king. <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks, Barack. Great reporting. We'll have you back soon. Of course, today was not just this day where the president was talking about what is going to come next, tactically speaking, with Israeli leaders. It was also a very somber day. There were moments at the end of President Biden's visit today, one of his lengthiest meetings that he had before he came out and made those remarks as he was meeting with people whose lives have been changed by forever, essentially, by that massacre, by what happened. I'm talking about the families of victims, of the survivors of that day, and also the first responders who were there on the ground. 
One of the volunteers that Biden met with was Ellie Beer. He is the founder and president of United Hatzalah, which I should note, of course, is the largest emergency medical service here in Israel. And Ellie joins me now. Ellie, I'm so glad that you're here with me today. You can take it up closer since we're here um, in front of the camera. I mean, when I saw you in that room today, after you'd been in that meeting with President Biden, you know, our viewers know you because we just spoke to you a few nights ago. What did it mean to you to, to have the U.S. president here speaking with you? Well, I felt like any other Israeli in the country. We had the worst two weeks of our lifetimes. I've been living here my whole life, more or less, seen the worst disasters as a first responder, as a medic in United Hatzalah, which is an all-volunteer organization. We've seen the bombings. We've seen the terror. We've seen car accidents. If you put all of them together in 35 years, it's nothing compared to what we saw in one day. And all of a sudden, the most powerful person in the world the president of the United States, comes here to Israel just to show his love and support. I felt I couldn't feel better. I mean, unfortunately, this, this stuff that I saw and everything we saw was so bad, we'll never forget it. But he uplifted, literally, he uplifted the spirits in this country. Yeah. And it meant a lot to me and, and to all the first responders and, of course, to the country. Yeah, I mean, we've seen he's been very forceful in his support of Israel ever since the day that that attack happened. And when you and I spoke the other day, we talked about what that day was like, not just for you, but but for the other volunteers and, and what they saw. What did you tell President Biden? What did you want him to know today? Well, I wanted him to know that we as United Hatzalah, we're not only Jewish. We have in Israel 7,000 volunteers, almost 800 of them are Arab volunteers. And we had volunteers in the scene saving lives who were Jewish and Arab volunteers, Muslims and Christians. And unfortunately, we had two volunteers who were murdered, brutally murdered. One was a Jewish volunteer from Kriyat Malachi, which is the city nearby. Mm -hmm. And one was a paramedic from Nazareth, an Arab volunteer, Muslim from Nazareth. And he was there and he went to save people. And when the shooting started on him, I told the president, he did not run away. He stayed on the field. Mm. And he was, they caught him and they found out he's an Arab wearing this United Hatzalah vest with the symbol of Israel on it. He's an Israeli Arab. And they murdered him in a brutal way. It took us four days to find him. And the way we found him was terrible. And then we had another volunteer who was a Muslim Arab volunteer. They hung him on a lamppost when they found out he was a, an Israeli Arab doctor and he was trying to save people. In the beginning, one of these terrorists laid down on the floor to make, to make people think he's an injured Israeli, and the doctor showed up to help him. Wow. And that's when he jumped on him, and nine hours he was hanging on a lamppost. These were the most worst feeling for anyone in Israel, seeing things like that. And I told the president that we are all united here in Israel. This is one country. We respect every human being, no matter who they are. And I feel like having America back us, having you come here, having, uh, having the president of the United States show up, even for a couple of hours, we needed that little uplifting of spirits Do you here. feel like it gave you a bit of a boost? Uh, definitely. You know, we have a long battle in front of us. My son is serving in the front lines. He's in special forces in the Israeli army. I'm very, very proud of him. And I have one son. And I want them to be safe, but I, we need to protect this country. And it's not only for Israel. Protecting Israel from these kind of people 
Hamas is exactly like ISIS, and we all see it now. We, we've seen this for years, we're saying this. They're brutal to their own people. They're brutal to the PLO when they took over Gaza. And if God forbid they would have taken off, their plan was to get to Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. We had a big miracle on that Saturday morning for many reasons that I realize now. They were planning to come here to Tel Aviv. They had the doors open. Yeah. And we know by this miracle, we woke up and we have to take care of the problem. And everyone in Israel is ready to give their own life. I myself, I'm a peaceful guy. I don't know how many years you're following United Atzala. We treated five and a half million people. We never, Amazing. we never cared who we're treating, if it's yeah. Jew or non-Jew. We come because we're medics and, we're, and that's a Jewish value of tikkun olam. Well, Ellie, that's why it was so great to have you on the other night than, than to actually see you in the room today. And thank you for coming back over here to talk about this. And of course, we were thinking of your son and hoping for the best. Yes, and we Israelis uh, all united, and that's what's important here. And I'm happy that America is united behind us. So thank you so much. And the world, too. Thank you, Ellie Beer. Thank and thank you for what you've been doing. Of course, Ellie is just one of many who has been focusing on this, seeing it firsthand tonight. We're also covering what is happening in Gaza. Palestinian civilians still trapped there. They are in dire conditions that have been getting worse by the day. But there is hope tonight that help could be on the way soon. There's been a newly brokered deal between Israel and Egypt. We're gonna to speak to a United Nations aid worker whose family is in Gaza right now about the hopes for that next. Tonight, we are waiting to learn when humanitarian aid is going to start moving into Gaza. President Biden said today that Egypt is going to allow, after a conversation he had, 20 trucks of humanitarian aid to go through that Rafah crossing. That is the only way to get into Egypt from Gaza. Joining me now to talk about all of this and whether the promise of the aid is going to materialize is Hani Al-Madun, who is two dozen family members who are in the evacuation zone in northern Gaza, including his sisters. He's also the director of philanthropy at the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. And Hanny, I'm so glad that you're here tonight for Palestinian refugees, I should note. Uh, Hanny, the last time we talked, you, you talked about your mom being so concerned that, that the two of you might not speak again, that she had you turn your camera on during that conversation. I know that your, your family is still there, your sisters. How are they doing tonight? Well, thanks for having me back again, Caitlin. It's an appreciate to be here, and I'm glad I'm, I'm here. I hope it's better circumstances. They're not doing too well. They're concerned, you know, they're not uh, feeling safety. You know, I, I have two sisters, uh, two sisters uh, sheltering inside the hospital right now. One sister is in a school, an owner of school. I have the family just staying in the heart of the evacuation zone, unable to move around. They have very little resources right now. It's not good. And I just worry for them, for their safety. I continue. I have conversations here with members of the U.S. government about my family to make sure that they continue to be safe. There is, you know, there is a bunch of kids there, 20 kids, you know. In the last two weeks, Caitlin, I've seen, I think I've met every single Israeli citizen in TVs, in America's TVs. And I hope we have some uplifting stories from the Palestinian side. And I know that you're having me trying to change that a little bit. But I'm just, my heart is heavy. You know, Captain, I went to the largest, the largest Jewish-American demonstration today asking for a ceasefire in, in Gaza. This is, was a huge. They went to Capitol Hill. We held hands. There was so many amazing 
Americans, Jewish Americans, uh, Jewish uh, Voice for Peace, they organized the largest demonstration asking for a yeah. ceasefire. And what we get is a humanitarian aid where we're but talking Haney, about fight. Go ahead. When, when I, I just I want to interrupt here because when I hear you say that your your sisters are sheltering in a hospital, I mean, I'm just thinking about how we started the show tonight talking about what happened at that hospital in Gaza City. I mean, you must be incredibly worried about them tonight. Extremely so. They're the only reason that my sisters are in the hospital because they have electricity and water. They went to a shelter and they stayed for six hours and they ran for their lives because they don't have any services. And a school today in El Magazi, that's the middle area, was bombed where eight people were murdered. And, you know, the only thing we make this about this, who did this? Is it Israel? Is it Hamas? Is it this? And I worry that nobody worries about the civilians. There is at least 300 people who died in that hospital. But the question now, the narrative is like, uh, who did it, this or that? And it's unfortunate. Look, like, this is a great country. I love that the president got to, do, to go to their allies. But, you know, an aid, um, I, Gaza needs aid, definitely. I appreciate that. Humanitarian, more of that. 20 trucks, that's not what they bring in two hours in a regular day in Gaza. You know, this is better than nothing. But, you know, they don't have water. It is a real concern. And I'd love for the family to yeah. receive, you know, they don't have flour. It is a problem because safety is another issue. You know, they would love the aid, but they also would love not to be bombed. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about 50% of the population under the age of 18. This is not, I'm sure that we can agree that those folks have nothing to do with whatever Hamas did. And I hope that we can agree on that. And I know that you're trying to tell the story here. And I love that you invite me in the show. And I continue to pray for my safety of my family, especially my mother, who's 71, 71 years old. She has no place to go. They get prank calls at night, evacuate your house, you're going to get bombed. And then, oh, sorry, we're just joking around. And it's not, you know, it's not uh, human to do that. And I appreciate that, you know, we're all having a stressful time no. and it's a difficult conversation. And I just, you know, when I keep talking about it, I told the White House, I told the State Department, hopefully soon we will have a, a ceasefire so my family can catch a break and all the civilians be well, out Annie of harm's way. I know. And I, I mean, ever since our conversation the other night, I've been thinking about your family who has been there and especially what your sisters were, were going through and the fact that they're now sheltering in a hospital tonight. We're going to keep checking back with you and keep checking on your family. So thank you for telling us and updating us. Hani Almatoun, we'll continue to check in with you. Thank you so much. Also coming up tonight, Israel's ambassador to the United States, his view of how the meetings today here win high stakes meetings. That's next. The assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. As he flew back to Washington tonight, the president repeated to reporters that U.S. intelligence shows Israel is not responsible for the hospital blast that happened in Gaza. Before the show, I spoke to the Israeli ambassador to the U.S., Michael Herzog, about today's high-stakes meeting between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu. You heard President Biden 
come out tonight and say that he does not believe Israel is responsible for that explosion at the hospital in Gaza. The U.S. National Security Council says also based on its current information, that is what its assessment is. Did the IDF, did, did Prime Minister Netanyahu share any evidence with President Biden while he was here? Well, we shared all the intelligence we have and all the data we have with uh, the U.S. administration. They have their own information. They have their own independent sources. They investigated and came to their own conclusions. So both the presidents said twice, and the NSC issued a statement. I think the picture is clear. And I say to everybody, those who rush to conclusions, verify first before you rush to conclusion. Well, we saw how quickly, I mean, things really spiraled out of control. The second half of his trip was canceled. We saw all of this unrest over this. Given the heightened environment that we're in, how concerned are you about things escalating into a bigger regional conflict? So obviously we are following very closely what's happening in the region and especially in our northern front with Hezbollah. They are provoking us. There, is a da- there are daily aggressions, firing of missiles, of rockets, of mortars, the infiltration of armed groups, some of them uh, Palestinian factions uh, green-lighted by Hezbollah. This is playing with fire. This is a very dangerous situation. We send deterrent messages to them and to Iran, their patron. The U.S. administration sent messages to them both words and indeed sending carriers to the region and we hope Mm -hmm. the message will sink in. We have no interest in expanding the war to additional war theaters, but we will not be deterred and if they provoke us, we have to respond. The other announcement that came out of this visit by President Biden was on humanitarian aid. He said that Israel has agreed to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. When do you expect that to happen? So that's correct. Uh, We discussed uh, allowing some humanitarian aid to go to the southern part of Gaza. There is a challenge that Hamas might seize humanitarian packages that go in, and we want to avert that, and the president mentioned it in in his speech as well. So some of it we hope will go immediately. And we're also working together, both our governments, to establish a mechanism for the inflow of uh, uh, basic uh, humanitarian goods like water, like medicine, like food uh, into Gaza, but we have to secure it. There has to be proper monitoring. We do not want to feed the Hamas war machine and we will not do it. So who's going to be that monitor? So it depends. In the southern part of of Gaza, there is a better chance of uh, monitoring that. We are working very closely with UN agencies and we hope that they will be able to be on the ground. But as President Biden said, and we agree, if Hamas interferes and seizes uh, then those, the aid stops. Good, then the aid stops because we do not want to feed Hamas, the Hamas war machine, as I explained. And just to be clear, is any of that aid going through Israel or is it only going through Egypt? The aid is going through Egypt. We, no, no aid is going through Israel because Hamas cut all electricity lines from Israel to Gaza with its rockets. They destroyed the only passage between Israel and Gaza, the areas passage, they destroyed it. And we're, this is a, a war zone, and you know, there's public pressure here. People are saying, we have 200 kidnapped there, what about their humanitarian needs? It's a crime against humanity to keep them. So why open up our border? 
That's why we're focused on the Egyptian border. Okay, that's important. So it won't be going through Israel. It'll be, it'll no. be, it'll be going through no, Egypt. No, it will not go through Israel. Another thing that the president said tonight was he, he recalled 9-11, of course, one of the worst tragedies to happen in the U.S. And he had this word of caution saying that after 9-11, the U.S. was trying to, he was saying don't be consumed with rage because he was saying that the U.S. was, and he said he believed the U.S. made mistakes as it sought justice. Is Israel heeding that advice from the president tonight? Look, people here are very emotional about what happened. What happened is a national trauma in Israel. Uh, you, you've seen the scenes, uh, we all heard the voices, we have the people. It's a national trauma, it's our 9-11, and perhaps even worse because of um, the nature of the, this is not thousands of miles away, this is next door. And whole communities were wiped out. But for us, it's not only about the past responding to their attack or their waging war, war on us. For us, it's about the future. Namely, we have to make sure that we destroy Hamas war machines so that they cannot ever threaten us again this way. It's about restoring deterrence. This is a strategic matter because if we do not win this war, we invite further escalation, further aggression by Hamas its allies and its patrons in Tehran. Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And speaking of what President Biden is taking from these conversations today, back to Washington with him, he plans to ask Congress for what he says is an unprecedented support package for Israel. The question is, can lawmakers approve it? We're going to ask a Republican senator who just got back from Israel where he stands next. The House remains unable to legislate tonight without a House speaker, but over in the Senate, the leaders of both parties there are pledging to spend the coming weeks working on what they say will be a bipartisan aid package for Israel. And I'm joined now by Republican Senator Bill Cassidy. Senator, thank you so, so much for being here. There was this all senators briefing today, a classified briefing, of course, I know, but it was with top administration officials on Israel. Did you see, were you presented with evidence that Israel was not behind that explosion that happened at the hospital in Gaza? They said what the president has said and what the Israelis have said, that the evidence they have is that they do not think that Israel did it. Uh, that was based upon both, uh, uh, well, I, let me stop there because some of it might be classified, but some of it's obviously open source. Uh, but, the, but the president himself has said that from what he has seen, it was not the Israelis. So probably I should leave it there. Okay, and when you were in that briefing, did you get any clarity about something that has been discussed but not really, you know, pinpointed, which is any role that Iran may have played in that attack by Hamas on Israel? Well, you know, when I was in Israel, uh, I heard the same thing that I've been hearing from U.S. officials, that there is no direct evidence that Iran actually knew, uh, that they did not, so to speak, activate it, but they've certainly enabled it. It's over the years that both by training and by transferring resources to Hamas, that Hamas was able to do something. Now, others say there's no way that Hamas would have had the sophistication of this so that uh, Iran must have been involved specifically in this activity. Uh, but what we've heard both from the administration and what I've heard from the Israelis is that they do not have direct evidence that Iran activated this. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you for clearing that up. And you mentioned you were just here. You met with not only Prime Minister, but also his wartime cabinet that we saw President Biden meeting with earlier. 
the president said he plans to ask you and the rest of Congress for what he said is an unprecedented support package for Israel's defense. Is it accurate that you have heard that will be to the tune of $10 billion? And will you support that, Senator? Uh, yes, I, 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 I have heard that. Uh, but um, can I see what's in it first? But I can tell you that uh, the Congress wants to support Israel. Uh, and so, but before I say I'm going to vote for it, I at least need to look at it. Okay, so you would like to look at that package first. Of course, there's a question but, but, of whether but, but, or not but it will be paired with Ukraine to, funding. But I will vote to support Israel. For example, let me, give, let me give you kind of, you know, when we were there meeting with the generals and the others in the Israeli government, one of the things they requested was humanitarian aid for Palestine, for the Palestinians. Um, so the Israelis were requesting for the, for the humanitarian aid. I assume that's in the $10 billion, uh, because that's something that the Israelis are requesting for the Palestinians. Uh, and so I'd like to see, is that request being honored? Uh, you see where I'm going with that. There's some things I know are needed. I just want to make sure they're covered. Senator Bill Cassidy, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. That's what's happening over in the Senate, but the speaker vacancy on Capitol Hill in the House is still greatly impacting what that aid to Israel could look like. 15 days in, now two votes in, the chaos still spiraling in the dome tonight as a twice-denied Republican hopeful may try for a third time tomorrow. We'll have the latest next. Tonight, there is still no leader in the House of Representatives, leaving Congress unable to do almost anything, seriously, almost anything. Congressman Jim Jordan could not get the votes again today, though he tried. Yet the plan, we are told, is to vote again publicly tomorrow, hoping for a different outcome. Joining me tonight is CNN Capitol Hill reporter Melanie Zanona, who has been following all of this very closely. Melanie, I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's not just he's not getting the votes. The question is, what's he going to do? We're now learning that there is a death threat for a member who was voting for him, but then changed her vote to vote for someone else. Yeah, things are getting incredibly tense up here as the GOP scrambles to coalesce around a speaker and as Jim Jordan struggles to get the vote. So Marinette Miller-Meeks, she is a congresswoman from Iowa. She actually voted for Jordan on the first ballot, but she flipped her vote today and voted against him. And after that vote, Caitlin, her office says that she received credible death threats in a barrage of threatening phone calls. And Caitlin, she is not the only one. Actually, just before we went on air, Congressman Nick Lolota, another New York congressman who voted against Jim Jordan, said he received threatening messages. Threatening message I, I can't even really read on air because there's so many swear words and it's really disturbing stuff. But he says, I will not succumb to these threats. Now, this all comes as there's been a really intense outside conservative pressure campaign from conservative leaders, conservative media figures, urging people to call these members and urge them to support Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan, however, said he condemns these threats. He has not been involved in these arm-twisting intimidation tactics. I caught up with him earlier today. Here's what he had to say. It never happened. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's just wrong. That's yeah. wrong. We don't want it to happen to anyone. So again, even though Jim Jordan himself not involved in these arm twisting efforts, it does appear to be backfiring and the opposition is only hardening against Jim Jordan, Caitlin. Yeah, I mean, and just seeing this drag out, I should know, I mean, I was told that by a source that this is something that even was brought up during President Biden's meetings with Israeli officials today, the fact that there is still 
no House Speaker Melanie Zanona. We will check back in with you again tomorrow night and see what the update is then. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for joining us tonight here live on the ground in Tel Aviv. We'll be back here tomorrow night. Now I want to turn it over to CNN Newsnight with Abby Phillip. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.